And then my answer is a question. What is the scripture saying to you? Have you prayed about this? Have you asked the Holy Spirit? That The Bible says, if you ask, he answers. Seek and you will find. Have you done that? If you're coming to me to seek, you haven't done this. Do this first. Then if, if you're stuck, I'll help you. That's a boundary. Again, I'm answering with a question. What have you done to take responsibility in your spiritual life for this issue? All right. Thank you guys for joining us again for the Men of True Worth podcast. I'm Michael Lewis here with Pastor Steve Warner, a man of true worth. Thank you for joining me today, Pastor Steve. It's my delight, Michael. Thank you so much for the invitation. All right. So we're going to jump right in. We've got a lot to talk about. I'm really excited to to get into some of your testimony and then ask your opinion on some some things deep dive into some of the topics that are relevant for the church today. Excellent. So, <laughs> but first of all, if you wouldn't mind, take a few minutes and introduce yourself all as right. far as um, who you are, uh, your background, sure. and, you know, coming to Christ, and then, of course, your your time in the ministry. Thank you. I was, uh, I was born in church almost. <laughs> I was there uh, T-minus nine months all the way through, <laughs> and... Uh, some of my first pictures are in in the congregation in the church. My my family was very very faithful. My father was a deacon for twenty eight years or for fifty eight years uh, in the church, and so he was uh, he was a delightful man of God, and uh, learned much from him. And uh, so we I grew up in a in a classic Pentecostal church, uh, enjoyed it greatly, uh, but. As we grew, we realized that not everything was was perfect in any church, and uh, the people around us we loved dearly. But obviously, religion was not always conducive to a teenager's mindset, hmm. and so we struggled a little bit in those in those areas. Had some amazing encounters with God at a at a camp meeting. I can take you back to the place where God spoke to our heart and called us into ministry. I was nine years old when I knew that. That would be my life's work, and uh, so everything we did from that point on was either fighting that or preparing for that. Uh, and we did a pretty equal amount of both <laughs> in those first years. Uh, got married to a wonderful woman. I was a, I, I was this wonderful, not wonderful. I was I was a conflicted <laughs> young man that was not ready to walk away from God in any way, shape, or form. But I married a woman who had been sa- saved for less than a year. When we met, we dated for six six months and then got married. Uh, not not probably a good choice as far as the way we did it, but we had a great great time. And she came from a from a household that was completely different than mine, entirely different. Uh, it was a drug party, that that kind of a house. And uh, so when we came together, we thought, this is going to be amazing. We're going to have this balanced testimony and we're going to be able to share with people. And then we found out that that had other ramifications to it. So we had to grow emotionally and spiritually during that time. And so uh, then we went into ministry. We were, uh, we traveled as evangelists for about 10 years, lived in a bus, and wow. uh, had a great time doing that. Transitions, transitions. Had a, a very tough experience in ministry uh, as a youth pastor. Um, 
and uh, we're continually asking God to deliver us from that. But everybody needs those moments when you have to rely on God, when you have those times when God is your only hope. And uh, th- that was our time. We went through about five years of that, and God delivered us. We went to Nebraska, and then we pastored, youth pastored for many years, and then uh, went into a senior pastorate, and uh, did that till till the 2018. And uh, then God said, "Okay, you're done here." And so we stepped out of that into what we're doing now. And uh, again, God God kind of highlighted Florida to us and said, "This is the season for Florida." Mm-hmm. To find its voice, it was uh, there was this movement toward uh, family values and and the the movement of of actually making a difference and changing the the culture, and uh, so we we really believe that this is the time for for Florida to be doing that, and so we've, we're meeting all these people God's sending from all over the nation and literally the world to to this region, and really believe that God's up to something. And in the middle of that, there's always the, uh, there's always adjustments and, and processes, and so we're in the middle of some of those, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. So, have we have uh, two two sons? Both both uh, have been in ministry. My son, one son, ran a orphanage in Africa for about ten years. My other son was on staff with us, and then took the church when we left, uh, and then moved here uh, about. Uh, about two year, about a year ago. So oh, wow. we are now in the process of living as a as a retired couple in a mother in law suite <laughs> in the family compound. So that's our life. <laughs> and Florida is the place to be right now. We love it. What we a, absolutely love it. What a wonderful season to be in. <laughs> yes. Florida season. Yeah. Well, um, that's really cool. Actually, um, interesting. And my wife and I were we knew each other for six months when we got married as well. well. How funny. <laughs> Something you recommend? <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, this, this is an interesting thing because sometimes you can end up going too far, too long uh, in, in like a comfortable relationship yeah. where it's like, and maybe you even get too comfortable, get too comfortable. in a way of like, yeah. we relate to each other in this way. Yeah. And then you get married and now there's a new dynamic. Yeah. And then it's like, now I don't know how to actually interact with you anymore mm-hmm. because there's it's different now. We live together now. We yeah. if you if you did it the right way, yeah. now we live together. Now we're we're union. Yeah. And then so, I I can't say. It's interesting. Sometimes the the most successful marriages that I've seen uh, are the ones that got married right, right away. Right. Um, but that. Maybe it, it, it also could have something to do with the type of person who does get married right away. Right. Because they would be the type of person who is not afraid to commit. Right. And they would, they're and the, committing right away. And the thing that, that drew us together was um, this commitment to Christ. I was committed to Christ. She came out of this whole environment of just this craziness around her. And she had made the decision that she was going to serve Christ and had an amazing encounter with God. And uh, in that process, she started ministering to her family. She had four brothers and a mom and dad. Mom had been married five times. Dad had been married five times. It was it, it, it was not not healthy. Um, but I, I knew when I when I looked in her eyes that she was committed to Christ and that we were headed the same direction. And I think that's probably the most important piece. 
is uh, it, without Christ in the center, there's no commonality for for life life pathways. You have to have something on the on the point in the horizon to say. This is where we're headed. And uh, both of us just basically said, you know, we don't know all God's going to do with us. We don't know all of the, the ins and outs and what the path's going to look like. But we're both committed to staying with Christ and, and walking the life of obedience. So when I saw that, and, and she's a very, uh, very strong-willed young lady, <laughs> uh, delightful in all of her ways. But I knew that when she said that, there was a resolve in her. And that's the thing that I married the resolve to follow Christ, yeah. And if, if you're, how can two walk together unless they're going the same direction? How how can you how can you agree with somebody that you don't agree with? Mm. And so, conflict resolution in a marriage is amazing, but uh, and, unless you have a commonality beyond the conflict, then you're you're lost in the conflict. So you're talking about the just the aspect of having having God first like that. Like that, as if you're if you're walking together yeah. with Christ, if you're walking together towards Christ, if you're walking on the same path, it's really yeah. really amazing what you can do with a marriage. Absolutely. And now you've been married how long? Been married forty eight years. <laughs> sorry, I had to stop and think for a second. Sorry, I just had a birthday, and we had. I, I don't mean to to, to date <laughs> no. you. Like, <laughs> I'm dated. I can't help it. <laughs> No, we've been married 48 years, uh, and and delightful, delightful marriage. Enjoy each other tremendously. We spend many, many hours, especially in this season of our lives. That's We're spending wonderful. a lot of time together and loving it tremendously. Okay, so you've got a lot of experience that you can offer as far as a successful marriage, being married 48 years Most of it now. has been successful. <laughs> so, and, and then... The successful marriage actually comes from working through those problems. Absolutely. So this is really interesting. Um, uh, I'm glad we're, we're having that conversation. That's really cool. I do want to shift it a little bit. Sure. And if since of that, what I know about you in our, in our uh, limited interactions together, um, you are a man who's really good at asking questions. And and having and, and I'm speaking to somebody that I believe does the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I I've seen you when you talk to people and when you interact, you ask questions and you dig deeper and you find out more about them. And mm-hmm. when they're saying something, you kind of go a little further down that conversation, and mm-hmm. you don't let them just stop at the surface, and yeah. you you go a little further. And I'm bringing that up for a reason because I'm interested to know from your perspective and having you know, pastored and, mm-hmm. and led so many people, so many men over the years, uh, for you, what has been your experience in, as far as, um, why do you ask questions so much? <laughs> That's a great question. <laughs> uh, actually, I was thinking about this on the way over today, just thinking about, about being in a, in a situation where you're asking questions and, oh. and I'm trying to find... Holy Some way to, to process that. And, and it really, I, I always look for those moments. When I find one of those moments, I want to ask a question about it. I want to find out what's the rest of that. Uh, I, I think this started with me when I started to have little children around me. And then I was reading the scriptures one day, and he said, unless you become like a little child, mm-hmm. you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I found out that the entrance of heaven is childlikeness. 
And if I'm not childlike, then the, the gate of heaven is not nearly as accessible as the, the one who's childlike. Uh, we went to the Holy Land, and when you, when you visit, visit the place where Christ was born in Bethlehem, the, the, uh, the sanctuary there, you only enter it because the, the door is about three and a half feet high. The only way you can enter there is to become like a child. You have to move your perception down and perceive the one who's, who's in, whose sanctuary you're entering. And all, all of those pieces kind of came together for me. I had a, a dear friend who wrote a, a book, um, Growing into Childlikeness. It's, uh, sorry, I can't. <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. And what you're talking about is becoming like a child because, you know, I have three girls and they, yeah, it's like nonstop. The questions is. They like, wanna, and they want to know uh, about their world. Yeah. And they trust you to, to, to they trust you with the question. And so when, when somebody trusts me with a question, that's a, that's a level of relationship that's beyond just me telling or me giving you one-word answers. And so questions, uh, and, and you know this, but questions that are open-ended and, and dive into feelings or, or values or those kind of things are the only real way that you learn who somebody is. You, you can't learn by asking yes and no questions or... or or questions that are, are easy answers. You only ask questions that make somebody stop for a moment, and uh, you, th- those are the questions that are valuable in relationship. And I think one of the things that happens is is when we th- when we th- begin to be adults, we lose our curiosity. And I think one of the v- one of the greatest values in the kingdom is curiosity. Mm-hmm. Curiosity takes you outside yourself. Curiosity puts you in a position where no matter where you are, there's something in the room that I need to learn. There's something in the room that's going to make me richer. There's some there's some key in the room that somebody's got in their pocket, and I'm going to go I'm going to go fishing in their pocket to find the key. And very often, you know, we sometimes like to ask ask questions we know the answers to, but faith requires us to ask questions we don't have answers to. And I think even even in God's interaction with us, He introduces things that make us ask questions. You know, when you read the book of Job, it's like, what is this all about? I mean, it's like, this guy, by, by heaven's perception, he is a man that is blameless. He is, he's righteous in all of his ways. And yet, so God introduces this mystery to make us ask questions, because in the questions, we find out who God is. And then all of Job's friends come with their perceptions. Some of them are right, some of them are not. But, but... Then God comes and questions Job and says, let me ask a couple questions. Oh, you said something there that was really <laughs> awesome. Like Questions are the way you find out who somebody is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love it that you're saying that. And then you even brought it around and connected it to questions are how we find out who God is. Yeah. Like being that, that curiosity really helps us develop a relationship yeah. um, even um, like you're saying like a relationship with another person it's much better when we can have a conversation with somebody and and ask questions and learn about them who they are because yeah. I really uh, I really enjoy that when somebody really is is genuinely curious 
to find out more about your story. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot of people will th- look for. I think we have this mentality that great conversations are made out of telling. Yeah. And I don't think great conversations are made out of telling. Great conversations are made out of questions. Where, where we talk enough that you have questions. You know, as, as, as we talked the other day, I thought, okay, I got some questions for this guy. How did you learn to, you know, and, and you know, how did you learn to ask questions? Why are you so curious? What, what is it that, that, that's going on around you? And, and even in the first time we met, there were some questions on the table, and it was like, okay, I'm gonna, I, I loved it because I'm sitting back, and the only thing I want to do in that situation is the, the life is in the room because of the questions. And we're talking about the questions, and this person had a little piece of the key, and that person had a little piece of the key, and we together have the mind of Christ. And when when we assume that I know something that I need to tell you or I need to impose on you, it's it's not true relationship. It's not. It, it's I have something I want to draw you to, and the best way for me to draw my children into a place of trust is ask them questions. Have I, mm. you know. You, you think I'm thinking about anything right now? Well, they weren't even thinking I was thinking anything, you know. But I, I'm having this idea, and so I want my grandchildren to come and say, "Poppy, what are you thinking?" Why? Because it's faith that I'm, I'm teaching oh. them about faith, and their curiosity is the key to faith, you know. And I'll, I'll just, boy, I'm thinking about something right now, and then I'll just walk off. I'm trying to draw them into in, into to to the faith in their in their question that, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking? I'm thinking about ice cream. Oh, <laughs> where do you think we should go? I don't even know where they want to go. <laughs> but I'm asking the question because it tells them that they're valuable to yes. me. I, want, I, I don't want to tell you we're going to go get ice cream at my favorite place. You tell me what your value is. And when you value it, I'm going to value it. I love that because the question's... What you said there, the questions tell them, the person that you're asking the questions, it tells them that they're valuable. Yeah. It tells them that their thoughts and their feelings are valuable to you. Yeah. So I'm not just assuming something about you. Exactly. I'm going to, I value you enough and I value your thoughts yeah. and your mind. So I really want to have an intellectual interaction with you. Right. So that's... This is a this is really valuable stuff. Some, I'm glad sometimes, you're especially this. as a pastor, you want to fix people. I have something I need <laughs> to tell you, so you can be fixed. And and I can try to tell you that all day long, and it's still my idea. The only way for you to really learn that is for me to draw you into the place where you're going to have you're going to have the conversation. We don't we don't remember what we hear. We remember what we say. Mm. And so, if you want to draw somebody into a place of truth, you you have to draw them to a place where they're where they're interacting with the verbal part of their brain that has the memory connections to it. Uh, and I can tell them and it'll go in one ear and out the other. And, and that's, the, that's some of the fallacy of preaching is that we get up with, with this logical uh, outline that says, okay, think this, now think this, now think this, now think this. Or, or here's, here's the thing I want to tell you, here's the thing I want to tell you. And it's something else entirely when you get up and you, and, and you look into the questions that Jesus was asking. Uh, what 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 question was he trying to to deal with here? Uh, and and in the process, you're not just you're not just listening to the information, you're thinking with the individual. And so when we get people to think with us, even in our preaching in our in our conversations, to get them to to think through, 
um, even past the barriers. When, when, when a marriage comes to me, they don't need my information. They need to be heard. Hmm. Somebody's not hearing somebody. Somebody's, somebody's not listening or they're not able to respond back. That's why we teach people to respond, to, to mirror back before you're going to have a conversation. Counseling, it's like, wait a second, before you're ready to talk, you have to tell me what she said. Mm-hmm. Before you're ready to talk, you have to tell me what he said. Because I, need, I have to know you're listening and you're not just giving information because that's, that's kind of a, I'll, I'll use the term, it, it's a prideful situation when you're trying, you think you have something to tell. It's a humble situation when you're, when you're curious enough to say, how do you feel about that? What's, what's that all about? Where did that come from? I got a nickel, a nickel response or a $100 response to a nickel event. I don't understand where that came from. The question is unpack that for me. Tell me what, now, now we're moving toward conflict resolution because we're not just dealing with the current, we're dealing with the triggers and the motivations behind those. And so that's where, that's where humility comes into, into uh, to conflict is somehow we have to take a lower position, not because we lost, but because we, we really have the other person's heart in our hands and we're responsible to steward it well. The, something you said there, um, a couple of things you've said here really are resonating with me. Now, the first of all, there's the aspect of trust. So you have to trust. Yeah. We have to, there's a, there is a level of trust that you are putting when you're asking somebody a question. Mm-hmm. And I, you mentioned the, the preaching aspect. Mm-hmm. And when I'm connecting that a little bit, I'm wondering... You have all the experience in this this realm. That's not, that's not an experience that I have personally. It's not. It's not all been good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm wondering if, when we ask a question, we're trusting that person to to take the stage at that point, to take the mic, to to speak their mm-hmm. mind. We're trusting them mm-hmm. with that responsibility. Right. As a preacher, wouldn't it be difficult to? trust somebody else to kind of like take the take that moment because once you once you bring somebody into a conversation and once you enter into an interaction right you're 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 risking yes losing the l- losing the the stage almost or losing the mic for a little bit is that is that something that kind of <laughs> You, I, I'm wondering where the challenge comes from, really, yes. like for, as far as like a, um, like a preaching standpoint. And sometimes when a when a church grows very large too, right. it's like you know I've I've been in churches, and this isn't like a derogatory thing, but like I've been in churches where it's like you know the pastor preaches and disappears afterwards. He's yeah. not going to interact with anybody afterwards. So it's and there's a challenge there to is is there but is there even a need to bridge that gap or is it like just sort of like a <laughs> something that exists and yeah. we just you know it's just the way it is yeah does that any make i don't even know if that's a really a question that i'm asking here it's it's just kind it, of like interesting it, it brings up several me. several questions one and and i you know appreciate you bringing it back to risk because everything we do in asking questions is a risk 
this conversation could go way off the rails. When the more the more other people are in the room, and the more vo voice they have in the room, the more dangerous it is to open that up because there are people that don't understand the dynamic of learning or of of not telling but but discovering. Um, when you're my my mentality in preaching is I've got to ask a good question. Mm -hmm. If I'm if I'm not asking a good question, I'm not raising the question in people's minds. How did we get here? What what happened here? What, what what's the dysfunction or what's the how am I drawn into being a part of the problem and not part of the answer? Those those are questions that I think we I think was what Jesus did. You know, he he knew exactly where he was going. Who's my neighbor? Hmm. He knew where he was going. He knew exactly where, where what he was going to say, but which one do you think? But he continues to draw them in because the question reengages their brain. The question reengages their thought process, and and I, I can go to the conclusion. Jesus could have said, "Okay, here's here's three things that that we have to do in this situation," um, but instead he draws them through these parables into the thought process. You know, a man had two sons. What what are you doing? You know, I'm telling you a story that's going to make you ask questions. Why did the father give him all the money when he asked? Why did the father respond to his his uh, his dishonor? And he enabled him. He gave him the money to go and waste. Half of it was his brothers. <laughs> when he comes back home, he's living off his brothers. That's why the brother doesn't want him to come back home. He, he, I mean, he's asking, he's intertwining this story with all these questions of where am I in this story? And uh, I, I think we have to not just give the answers, the bottom line. We have to give the thought process. Because in the process, I, I think one of the things we do as leaders is we teach people to think. We teach people not, politicians want to tell me exactly what the answer, they, they're going to shape the question and then they're going to give me the answer. Mm -hmm. And only their answer, you have to vote for me to get this answer. Uh, and and I'm, I, I guess I'm not that monolithic in my thinking. I can't, I can't draw that all because however the question is shaped is the answer you're going to, you're going to gain. Jesus always is expanding their thought processes. You've heard it was said, I know what the answer is. I know what your answer is, but I... What about this? <laughs> Expanding it, not not limiting it. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> when I come up with a great outline, it's like when I think it's a great outline, it's because I've got this thought process and I'm thinking, this is an amazing outline. I'm just going to go tell the people this. But if I don't walk them through it and, and, and help them understand the thought process, it, it takes a lot longer. It's more risky. Because somebody can get off track in the middle of that conversation and, and apply it incorrectly. That's why we need community. If you're gonna have if you're gonna have risk involved in, in in a church, you have to have community that's gonna back up the lifestyles with the with the message and the values. So you have to you have to have people around you that, that are trusted that can be the question answerers. That's why I love a, a small group and a large group. I love the large mm -hmm. group because in that we can we can develop mindsets for for a community, but they're really developed in in a in an effective and um, life filled smaller group where you really have a chance to sit down and talk about it. So. Good questions. 
good good answers. You know, well, you know, pastor said this, but how does that apply here? Or what is that sounds like great idea, but and and after the but there's always a, there's always a question that's ripe. When somebody says I agree with that but or uh, you know, I in my experience, whatever. Uh, that's where the question relies. It opens up the heart instead of closing the heart. The small group setting, right, mm-hmm. is where we, it's where we're able to ask questions of each other and, mm-hmm. and interact on a more intimate level. Right. And then the larger group is more of like where we go and we, we sit down together and we congregate and we, you know, we hear a message. Right. Now, uh, I'm processing what you've been talking about here <laughs> because this is, this is a really, I feel like it's such an important topic, but it could be easily just glossed over. Now, when we're asking the right questions and we're, we're going deeper, I've seen there's been people, leaders in the past, um, you know, probably people that are listening to this have experienced it mm-hmm. where leaders kind of like they they drift off they separate themselves from the people yeah. um maybe elevate themselves maybe they just you know they just need that separation they're they're that type of person but also there's been people who the leaders have fallen in the church mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sure Many people that are listening have experienced this, yes. you know, as I've experienced it a few times. Yes. And it's, I, I often wonder, I feel like this happens so often because of a lack of accountability, mm-hmm. for one. They're not accountable to somebody, but they're also just simply not surrounding themselves with people mm-hmm. who are engaging and actually interested in asking them questions about who they are, yeah. um, it's kind of like if I want to when I when I isolated myself, I I came I came out of this isolation mentality where mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be around other people. I really didn't want anybody to ask me any questions. Yeah, because I don't want I don't want to, them to know too much about me. Right. I don't want them to see all these flaws that I have. Yeah. I don't want them to see, you know, kind of like. If I answer wrong, like I don't want them to see how dumb I am. I don't want them to. See, you know, I don't want them to see these yes. things in me. And then if they dig too deep, they're gonna find some really ugly stuff about me. Yeah. So that's the risk of being around somebody a yeah. lot, and and being around somebody who asks questions. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess the point of what I'm saying is these leaders of the churches. Um, ministry leaders and so forth. What is it, there's an importance level to having people around them who who will ask them questions, yes. along with asking other people the right questions. Right. Does, and so, I suppose my question for you <laughs> would be: How can how can leaders do a better job in Getting people around them that will ask them questions, and how do they how do they come to a place where they can trust people with questions yeah. and being questioned? There's a lot wrapped up in that yeah <laughs> in that conversation. <clears throat> let me let me just start with the, the heart of a pastor is to love deeply. 
and I don't know anybody who's been in ministry for very long that hasn't been wounded very, very, very deeply. And what we do when we're wounded and it's not completely healed is we, is we wrap up the wound and we try to hide it. We keep it away. And so <clears throat> in the dynamic of, of dealing with ministries and ministers for, for many, many years, I find them to be the loneliest people because most of them have been wounded so deeply and they've, and they've risked so much with so many. And they don't remember all the, all the, the success stories, the people whose lives have been transformed and changed. They don't, it, it's, it's hard to find those. But if I ask them who hurt you, who wounded you, who said what about you, they, the, the pain comes to their eyes. Very often you don't learn the information about what caused that but you learn about the individual's heart when you ask the question and they close off. Now you know. Now you have, to me, I have an assignment. <laughs> now my job is to move this into a safe, this relationship into a safer place where we can actually have this conversation. A lot of times, uh, if if you don't understand some of these dynamics, you'll go into a into a large meeting or you know a, a gathering with 10, 12, 15 people. Some of them are trusted and some of them are not. And to gauge the, gauge the question and, the, and the, the levels of transparency uh, is very difficult because it takes risk to get to another level of, of interdependency and, and trust in, in a relationship that includes that many people. You can go much deeper, much faster when you're sitting across the table and having coffee with somebody. And... Um, my my assignment for every pastor or every every person who's in ministry or every 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 couple, it's anybody that wants to move deeper into relationship. It does not happen in those larger groups. It happens in the smaller the smaller setting where everybody's trusted. You can only go as deep as as you're able to trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is many of us have have been the source of the disappointment. We've been the source of the, you, you know, I've been in ministry <clears throat> over 50 years, and I've been the source. <clears throat> I can tell you a lot of the people that I've wounded, and I've closed their, closed their spirit. And that's probably one of the greatest weights that I carry as a pastor is these people trusted me, and I probably didn't handle that well. I didn't steward their hearts well. And I live with that, you know. And, and so every situation I walk into, I want to be able to say, I'm, if you trust me with this, I'm going to steward it well. Um, very difficult, very difficult. When people are trusting you with with the treasure of their heart or the wound of their heart, it takes a great deal of care. Um, it's also draining. It emotionally drains you. And some many pastors that I know, they just don't have anything to give. They spend all of their emotion or their or their their grace just trying to get next week's message. They they really don't have the the capacity to be to be discipling fifty people on this level. So that's why our job as leaders is not necessarily to just do this work, but to raise up people that understand this work. What does it look like to be the steward of someone's heart? How do you how do you open that up? How do you move into that place? Um, and how do you how do you feel the weight of that? Because with with every risk they take, you're taking on responsibility. And it's easy to push them into, into a place of risk. But that's where the wounds come from. Many times we've been pushed into a place of risk. Um, I'm, 
I'm thinking of one dear, dear, dear friend that I did not serve well. Uh, he came and, and uh, committed to a, a group of two or three of us that um, he, was, he was struggling with pornography and some other things. He's in the ministry. He's, he's, he's dealing with it. He's processing it. He's trying to figure out what his, what his mechanism needs to be or how he gets there. He's asking great questions. So we, we had this conversation. One of the guys there decided that he had to go to the district. District came in and treated it by the book where that man had trusted us with his heart. And we had a responsibility to him, not, not necessarily to just keep him in ministry, not just necessarily to do that, but, but to, to guard his heart well. You, you know, he trusted us with, with the, most, the most shameful thing that he'd ever experienced in his life. And instead of getting a, a caring environment, it was taken to a council, and the council made decisions that we had to carry out mm. because I'm submitted to those people and I'm submitted to this brother, and I didn't fight hard enough. I didn't fight hard enough. And, and that, but, but every pastor carries that weight, and if, the, if he's insightful, he understands that to bring people to a place of that level of care and intimacy requires more of his heart. And very often he just doesn't have the capacity. That's why, and I started to say this, that's why as leaders we have to raise up people, not just do all the work ourselves, but to raise up people who understand these principles and, and can walk uh, as a brother, as a care, caregiver, as a, as a heart handler. Uh, and if we're not raising up those kind of people, then we're not, we're not serving our congregations very well. Something you said there, it really struck me, the, that pastors in general, a lot of pastors are the most lonely people that you're going to meet. That separation from the people, when I think about these things intellectually, I think there's, that's twofold in a sense of, for one, you know, the pastor is taking on that, you know, the role mm -hmm. of pastor. Mm -hmm. When you're a pastor... I can only imagine that when you're a pastor, you're always a pastor. You're you're 100% of the time a pastor. Yeah. So you don't clock in at 9 a.m., clock out at 5, yeah. and you're done. It's like it's a 100% time. You're always thinking about the next yeah. thing, and it's a constant, constant, huge part of your identity yeah. as a pastor. Um now, they, the only way I would relate that is like when we had a business, it was like, as a business owner, you never stop working. Right. And it's, <laughs> it's so interesting that that dynamic, I feel like, sort of isolates us in one aspect. Mm -hmm. But there's also the, the aspect of, do you feel like it's the pastors that kind of like more often are separating themselves and not finding ways to connect with the people? Or is it more about the people who are putting them on a pedestal and kind of like, you know, they the people view them as they're such they're they're the big time, they're up there on stage. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they don't really have time for me right now. Yeah. Pastor never said they don't have time for me, but I'm just assuming that they don't have time to right. to talk to me. So I'll right. just you know say hi, shake hands, and then head out. Yeah. 
Um, and keep it on a very safe yes, level. Yes, very surface, very safe. Yeah. And like, you yeah. know, that's my pastor, but, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't really have a relationship with them. And I feel like that's where we could fall a lot of times when we're, yeah. when we're in that church environment. Yeah. Do you feel like it's coming from... I'll shift that question a little bit. <laughs> How can pastors navigate that and take responsibility for their own, for their own well-being yeah. and for their own relationships yeah. so that they can reach out and connect with people better and and be that pastor that's just not lonely. Yeah. Be that pastor that's that has yeah. people around them. How yeah. can they how can they bridge that? <laughs> that's a there, there's about five rabbits running around on the table here. <laughs> um, let me first of all say I don't think there's a single pastor in the planet that is committed to being a pastor that likes this process or that mm. even often recognizes the amount of closure that they that they um, that they exude, or that they, uh, our, our messages, our, our times, our our our, uh, our words, belie our heart. That you know, yes, I love you, but I don't have time. You know, yeah, I love you, but I, and and part of that is, is a flaw in the thinking of every pastor that he has to be everything to everybody. Mm. And at some point, you have to have the maturity to say, that's. That's a wonderful need that you have, but I'm not it. I can't. I can't do that. It's not mine. I, you know, um, I can't solve your marriage problem any any more than you're going to solve it. You've got to solve it. I'll help you. I'll give you some tools, but you've got to do this. I can't. I can't do it for you. You know, when it, when a guy calls me and says, "Hey, I, you know, I, I, uh, <laughs> I disabled my wife's car so she couldn't leave me." You know, well, great. I. <laughs> I appreciate that, but three months ago we were talking about communication, and evidently that's the that's the level your communication's at. That you're going to disable her car so she can't leave you. That's that's not my problem at this point. I gave you tools. Did you do what I asked? No. Okay. Well, then this is not mine. This is this is yours. I will be with you. I'll walk with you in it. But t- call me when you've done what I asked you to do. Call me when you had the conversation I told you to have. Uh, call me when when you ask the questions about where this is all coming from. Those kind of those, those. do you feel like um, pastors could do better at at relating to people if they would if they would learn to detach themselves more. So we're we're, we're kind of det- <laughs> we're talking about two different yes. things. Yes, we are. So you get detached from the people because yes. you because you're afraid of. When I'm when I'm too immersed in yes. this community, they're like pulling at me every which way. Yes. If I could learn to cut some of those strings, yeah. then I can be present with yeah. the people and yeah. say and be more yeah. engaged. And and part of that is just teaching people what's appropriate, what's not. Te- teaching people what what's. Uh, let me, let me uh, give you a, a scriptural context for this. This this is a piece that I teach young leaders. Um, Moses is leading the people. They love him. He he brought us out of Egypt. It's wonderful. We're out here in the middle of the desert, but we don't have any onions. <laughs> you know, it's like, really? That's 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 the place we're gonna go. Um, Moses is like, I you know, I gotta go up the mountain. Just let me go up the mountain. 
And he comes back down the mountain and God says, here's, here's your responsibilities. When you're doing this, Moses' job is going to be a lot easier. In, so, in some ways, the Ten Commandments were a gift to Moses, but they didn't get it. They thought it was rules, but because it wasn't wrapped in him leading them through the questions of how did we get here. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, it does. I'm moving somewhere. With, with Moses, God's, God says with Moses, I want to be their God. And they're going to be my people. And Moses says, man, <laughs> that's, all, that's a great idea. But God says, but I'll kill them. <laughs> if I go with you, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll kill you all. And Moses says, I'm not going if you don't go with us. And so he comes down the mountain. His face is glowing. The people say, put a veil over your face. And he tells, he's your God. He wants to be your God. He's your, your, his, he's your God. We're his people. And they said, we don't want to talk to him. Put a veil over your face. And when we have something to say to God, we'll say it to you and you go tell him. And then when he's got something to say, he can tell you and you can come tell us. It was a, it was a Pharaoh model. They made Moses a God. Mm-hmm. And they said, we don't want to see God. We want to see you. And it's, it's a fallacy that people press us into, that we don't, they don't realize they're doing it. We don't, we don't realize that we're accepting it. But I'm not the answer to everything. Your God is your answer to everything. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you answers questions. Your Holy Spirit that lives inside of you gives you grace and wisdom. The Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is a, is a fountain of wisdom and grace and knowledge and understanding, but you're not asking the questions. You're asking Moses instead of relation, relating to a God who loves you dearly. So, so what happens is, is we have a big God that we can't see, but we have a Moses. And our Moses becomes our God-man. The problem is that God didn't design it that way. He designed Moses to be a servant and a priest and to stand between God and, and to get out of the way as quickly as possible so people can have a relationship with God. When, when we allow people to push us into, you're going to be my God-man. You're going to have all the, all the answers. You're going you're to be able to tell me what the scriptures say. And then my answer is a question. What is the scripture saying to you? Have you prayed about this? Have you asked the Holy Spirit? That The Bible says, if you ask, he answers. Seek and you will find. Have you done that? If you're coming to me to seek, you haven't done this. Do this first. Then if, if you're stuck, I'll help you. That's a boundary. Again, I'm answering with a question. What have you done to take responsibility in your spiritual life for this issue? Have, have, you, asked your, have you asked the Holy Spirit what you can do to, to mend the relationship with your wife that's broken? Have you asked the Holy Spirit how you should act when you go in, into work tomorrow because you're having trouble with your boss? How should you serve him? Have you asked that? If you're not asking that question, then I don't have any answers for you. That's a boundary to me. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an answer to that question, I've at least asked. I'm seeking. I'm looking. I'm, then, then I have to find out more questions. <laughs> what are you doing? Where are you stuck? What do you keep coming back to? Now, now I'm... I'm not trying to take God's place. I'm trying to get this person 
ushered toward heaven, ushered toward their, their God view of what does God say about this? Have you looked at the scriptures? Have you studied the scriptures? Come bring me three scriptures about what you're going through right now. Find somebody in the scriptures that, that is going through that same, that same principle and Google's a great a great helper. It can teach you all kinds of things. Ask and <laughs> AI is another level that that's like oh it's crazy you know. But tell me somebody in the scripture who's having struggles with their boss. Oh my goodness, you know you got Uncle Laban who's <laughs> who's harassing his nephew and and taking advantage of him and and treating him badly and changing his wages and okay well how did he respond to him? That, and, and, and then the scriptures become the answer. I'm not the answer to everything. But I let the scriptures be what they are. I let the, re the relationship with the Holy Spirit be what it's supposed to be, which is supposed to be an interactive relationship. Uh, that comes from my classic Pentecostal background, but I'm learning that God really does this in different ways with people that, have, that, that come from different, different denominations or different, different theologies. God is the same. <laughs> And if we can get all closer to him, we're going to understand each other better, and we're going to be able to answer questions better. We're going to be able to ask better questions. Uh, but, but Moses' job is not to take the position that people press him into. Because then not only is he not giving them good, the, the best answers probably, but God's also jealous because God's a jealous God. And he looks at Moses and he goes, you need to move out of the way because I want to be their God. That's why, that's why the cross. That's why the Holy Spirit. That's why Father is, is continually drawing us back to reconciliation with the Father. Jesus says, I'm going to reconcile you with my Father. If you can't run to the Father on this and you're, you're safer running to a pastor, then you don't understand the Father's heart. Let's go back and talk about the Father's heart. That makes, that makes sense? Yeah, this know. is really good stuff. And this really takes me to a, to a point of what you're talking about here. And I, I feel like I want to emphasize something you you're sure. saying here sure. in another way the the people they have a responsibility in the example you gave moses was going up on the mountain the people were saying um ye, you you just talk to god we just want to hear from you yeah and the people in the church can do the same thing exactly. they show up they say that's my responsibility as a follower of Christ and I'm following Christ right but I'm just showing up on church yeah. on Sunday and I listen to this guy real quick mm -hmm. and that's where my responsibility my spiritual responsibility ends right I checked uh, my mark yes. for the week. That's my and spiritual like, mark. You go okay <laughs> you're the pastor you're it's your responsibility to be the the perfect person mm -hmm. who never mm -hmm. gets angry, who, never gets frustrated, who, who yep. never fights with his wife, and never ne falls and stumbles, <laughs> never makes a mistake, never yep. yelled at his kids. Yeah. It's only like you're you're that person for me. Yeah. And I just want to show up, listen to you talk for a minute, mm -hmm. and say, "All right, great, you go live the life of following Christ mm -hmm. for me," mm -hmm. and. And and I'll just <laughs> exactly. I'll just go on about my way. I can go do the bad things and and you know cuss at work and tell yeah. my crude jokes at the the water station, and then I'll just show up and like you know say you know yes I'll do my worship and I'll I'll praise yeah. and then I'll be like yeah. you know okay I feel good today yeah. but 
but just move on. And as we put the pastor in this position of you're you're that you're because a pastor I might be off here. I'm, I, I, I process things as sure, I talk. Sure, sure. Go ahead. I love so, it. That's, that, that's, to me, that's the greatest environment to live in is I process things as I talk. I don't always have the answers. Sometimes I ask questions I have the answers to, and sometimes I ask questions I don't have any answers to. But go ahead. Like, well, like you said, that's why like you, like you I'll start talking, and then it's like, oh, I just mentioned five topics, and then I'm asking a question. What do you think about that? So, so no. It's great. I love it. <laughs> When, uh, when I go down this route, though, we're talking about these. What we're doing is we're trying to make that pastor our advocate right. at the throne. Yeah. And he's not our advocate at we the throne. We have one intercessor. We have one intercessor. One who stands between God and man. <laughs> one who took the position and took the responsibility of all our failure so that he took that to the cross. And he said, I've taken all that to the cross. Now, I'm standing here. Whispering in Father's ear about you. Yes, I will do that. But he, he he's our high priest. So the pastor has a the pastor has a responsibility to set a boundary and yes. and inform the people and keep that boundary and say, I'm not I'm not your, your advocate. God. I'm right. not your God. I'm not like uh, I saw I, I saw a big name pastor one time say like oh it's my job to throughout the week go to God and say you know like oh God what do you want me to tell the people and then turn around and then come back and tell you people yes you know and God can speak to everybody bingo they, I don't <laughs> key, need key a principle. pastor to speak to to <laughs> God for me I can speak to the I can speak to God myself yeah so he's not my advocate. He's a shepherd over this flock that we have. Yes. But the, I, I feel like there's a big responsibility for the pastors to set a boundary in a sense of like say and in, in a sense of not allowing themselves to take take on yeah. that role. Yeah. But it's difficult. It it's a continual press. It's always a press. And the most the, because the people want it. Because that's what they've been told their pastor's mm-hmm. job is. The, the function of a pastor is to go hear from God, bring, it, bring you the word of the Lord, stand up and tell you, and then that's radically and miraculously going to change you. And I believe in the power of the word, but I also believe in the power of agreement. So agreement doesn't mean pastor told me a great word and, and, I, and I said, okay, yeah, I believe that. No, that, what happens on Monday morning, how do I, how do I find a way to ask this question, bring this answer to my to my normal world, and if we don't do that, that's that's not his job. And then we come back the next Sunday and say, well, you know, uh, my, my my pastor or my my boss is still giving me hassles. Okay, what did Spirit say to, to you to do? Did you change any of your activity this week? It's not his responsibility to be nice to you. In this world, you will have tribulation. But I've overcome the world. So how is Jesus overcoming your world this week? What did he speak to you when you asked him on Monday morning, how do I do this? How do I go into this job and and do my job in such a way that Christ is manifest in the environment, in the culture? Uh, that's The problem is if, if we allow that mentality stand in the church, then then we haven't really given people the empowerment that they need 
to be that person in the world. Hmm. We're a kingdom of priests. So if if my job if my concept is pastor does that, that's his job, and I'm going to come next Sunday and see him do it and see how well he did this week. And then next Sunday I'm going to come again, and if I don't like what he said, I'm going to write him a letter <laughs> um, with, without any responsibility of what did I do with the word this week. The kingdom of priests says, I'm coming to church not to hear the word of the Lord for me. I'm coming to church to change my thinking, to process my relationship with God to the place that I'm going to think differently about my world and act differently in my world and be a priest when I walk in in the morning. You know, I had, I had one guy that was having horrible problems, worked in a, in a factory that was really gruff and, and not a good environment at all. And he would come to me every week and complain to me about his job. And this is what they did to me this week. And they, they did this to my lunch. And they, you know, they, <laughs> they opened my, my Coke and put something else. I mean, they're, they're just continually. And they've, they pinpointed this guy as the one they're going to persecute. And he's, he's a radical evangelist. So he's going to tell them, you know, hey, you know, I'm, I, <laughs> this is what you need to be doing. This is what. And, I, and I said, well, what did the Holy Spirit say? He said, I don't want to do it. I said, what did the Holy Spirit say? He said, I was supposed to go 10 minutes early and walk around everybody's stations, put my hand on their station. Hmm. I said, okay, that's, that's awesome. So the next week I said, what'd you do? He said, yeah. He said, it was, it was crazy because I did it. But he said, when I, was, when I would touch somebody's station, the Lord would tell me how to greet them that morning. Hmm. And, and I would just say, you know, okay. And he said, there was a forklift driver that was the leader in this thing that was always after him. So when the forklift driver came by that morning, um, God had told him, call him a king. <laughs> and he said, hey, Mr. King, how you doing this morning? And the guy just looks at him and goes, how do you, how do you know my, mom, my mom's name? He said, what? What do you mean? Said, my mom's last name is King. And we, we, we take pride in her family because that's our heritage. His high Mr. King took this man to a completely different set of questions hmm. about who this guy was. Now all of a sudden it's, what do you know that I don't know? Well, how did you know that? I, and then he says, well, this is what God told me to do, be nice to you today. And he said, why would you do that? Why would you be nice to me? Now he's serving Christ as God's representative in this, in this ungodly factory. Now people are coming to him and saying, hey, would you pray with me? Would you do this? This has been like a four or five-year process. But he moved from being the persecuted one to being the chaplain of this place. God tells him to go half, half hour early and set up a prayer, prayer station in the, in the coffee room. Go make the coffee, be in the coffee room, and greet everybody that comes in the door and be at the table. Guys come in, sit down. God said, if, if they come in and sit down, close your Bible, put it to the side, and talk to them. <laughs> so he, this, this guy has moved from the persecuted one that's complaining about his place of work to the chaplain that's changing the culture. That, that is what's missing if you're only looking at your pastor as the priest, as the only priest. Yeah. We're a kingdom of priests. Kingdom. Uh, so... Th when a pastor takes that responsibility and, and embraces it and, and enforces it in his own life, 
he's taking on all of that weight. He's responsible now for the factory. Well, he's not responsible for the factory. That's your yeah. God put you there. <laughs> you know. Well, <laughs> I've been praying that God would take me out. Why? <laughs> Why? <laughs> because you're you're the priest God chose for that place. Of course, they don't understand you. You have to teach them. <laughs> so, so that that story really really struck me as well when I think about the how that happened. So it was very much originally focused on this. They're doing this to me. They're doing this to me. They're doing this right. to me. This is happening to me. And then it, it, it sounds like there was a lot of me yeah. focus. Absolutely. This is happening to me. This is going on <clears throat> in my life. This is what's happening. And you directing him to talk to the Holy Spirit about what mm-hmm. to do. The Holy Spirit directed him to... Focus on them and start on little things. Just lay, lay your hand on the toolbox. Lay your hand on the toolbox. Ask, on ask their how desk. to address them. Go set up a shop, and it was all these steps. Yeah. And isn't that when we start to look at other people and start to ask questions about them and focus on them exactly. and focus on their needs? Yeah. He needs to be encouraged today. He needs to hear that. You know, yes. he needs to hear a word from God. And just a reference, a sign for him that, mm-hmm. you know, God's watching him and call him a king. Yeah. And like, like when we focus on other people, a lot of these things, it, it's, that's part of that, that nasty submission <laughs> word, you know, that, yeah. that like we have to submit to like, say like, I, I can put my needs aside for a minute mm-hmm. and I can ask this person a question and I might not have the interaction I wanted. Mm-hmm. I might not have the, I might not be able to say all the things that I want to mm-hmm. say in this conversation. Like I might not be able to tell them the stuff that I really wanted to tell right. them right. because, <laughs> you know, they might, I might ask them a question. They might just start talking for, for a long time and I might not get to say anything. Yeah. So it's, it's a, that's really the, there's a level of submission to asking questions. Yeah. Like, I have to submit Submission my, to one another. Submit yeah. yourselves one to another. I, and when I ask you a question, I'm giving you permission to engage. I'm giving you permission to take some of my time. Well, pastor doesn't have any time. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to ask you questions. I don't want to oh, take that. I don't yeah. want to do that because I've got this schedule. And because we haven't said no to things, we can't say right, say yes to the right things. Um, and and so that's where boundaries in a marriage in ministry. I was I was trying to be all things to all people early on in our ministry, um, and and uh, I was spending. I had a, had a boss that <laughs> I didn't have a pastor. I had a boss. It's, uh, we, we won't go there. But if I wasn't in the office in my chair at eight o'clock, I I was in fear of being fired or. Mm getting a tunnel lashing or whatever. So, I, you know, and I'm, I've been up all night long with, I'm a youth pastor. So I've spent the evening with my, with my youth and had a two o'clock call in the morning, crisis situation I had to go take care of. And eight o'clock in the morning, I'm dragging myself to my desk because that's my job. Then I would go all day long, had to be in the office eight to five, and then had to do youth ministry after that. So my wife never saw me. And we had, we had little ones at home. And I'm saying yes to everything. I'm not pushing back on on the responsibilities that are 
projected on me. None of that. Uh, in, in hindsight, I needed to learn to fight for the right, fight for the thing that was important. And I'm sitting in the office bored stiff because I'm not an office guy, you know, <laughs> trying to figure out something to do today. Um, I'm longing and begging, you know, let me out. <laughs> I'm, I'm in this prison. Uh, but that was the pastor's perception that my job was to be in the office and be available to the phone call that never came instead of going to the coffee shop and finding the person that needed a question. Mm. That you know, I'm wasting my time because I don't have. So I had to learn how to build these relationships, and then my office became kind of this central relationship place. And then I was in trouble for that because there was too much noise in my office. It's like, okay, I, <laughs> I don't know how to. But there were all these expectations, and because the expectations weren't met with boundaries of some kind, some personal boundaries. I started to tell the story. I I came home one night. It had been like weeks since I'd actually spent quality time with my family. Literally, it's it was it was terrible. If I was home, I had people with me. Um, and I walk in the walked in the house an hour late for supper. My wife has the children all sitting at the table. On my plate is this picture of me. <laughs> <laughs> And as I walked in the door in this theatrical whisper, she's like, do you remember daddy? Daddy used to come and eat with us. This is your daddy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. I, I, and I knew that day that I had to start setting some boundaries and saying, that's not my job. If you want me to be a youth pastor, then let me be a youth pastor. If you want me, if you want me to be relational, then let me be relational. Um, I pushed back. It didn't go well. <laughs> But it was a great moment in my life when I realized that I was saying yes to everybody else, but not yes to the things that really were matter. This is my wife that 48 years later, we're still having a great time, you know, but wow, could have lost it very, very easily because of the projections of the responsibilities that were not mine. It's not my responsibility. To, to sit in the office and wait for my phone to ring. It's my responsibility to go into the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, to go and, and, and be childlike and, and go to, to, to the place where the, where the people are, are bleeding and hurting and talking about it. I want to be there. So, um, but it's easy to get sucked in to that. And then it's easy to get overloaded with that. And it's easy... Uh, I think in a relationship, same same way. There's just so many things that you have to learn to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. And sometimes you don't know what the right yes and no are until you ask the questions. What do you need from me? What can I do? I learned early on that my wife is a marriage manual. And if I just ask, what could I do this week? Tell me one thing I can do this week that will make me a better husband. Oh, she's got answers. <laughs> she's like, I can't do one. I'm like, okay, just give me one. I can't do everything. <laughs> all, all of it at once. Tell me the one. Oh, so. we, we can't pass that over, what you're saying there. Because my question was going to be, like, well, how can, how can you learn to say no? How can we learn to say no as a leader? Yeah. But you answered it already. Yeah. By asking the right questions. Where, where am I? Yeah. actually needed in yeah. this situation yeah. what do you need from me yeah. uh, and that really answers the question on 
okay, when I really understand where I'm needed or mm -hmm. what's actually expected of me, mm -hmm. then I can then I can meet that level of expectation or but push back on it. One or the or other push back on it, but I know how to do which and know how to do it in a value shaped resistance. If I do have to have resistance or a value shaped yes, if I can embrace that. But do you feel like people the a lot of conflicts arise because we have these perceptions of what's expected of us. Yes, yes, but it's not actually, and it's, no. it was never discussed. We just think that they expect these things of us. Exactly. And if we have the discussion and we we trust them with the question, what do you expect of me? They, yeah. And. And sometimes people have a hard time hearing that question. Absolutely. Because it's like when they ask, like, what do you expect of me? It's like, oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like yes. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you, what do you, what do you want to get out of this? Yeah. Um, sometimes those are completely, they're, they're completely mm -hmm. unrealistic. I just want you to make me happy. Okay. <laughs> Which I, isn't an answer, so I, now we have to go further. Right. I, that's, not enough question, that's not enough answer to my question. I have to have more than that. I have to have something that's tangible, that's measurable, that I can set a goal, and both of us will know that we've made progress. If we don't do that, then we have nothing to celebrate. All we have to do is complain. Hmm. So questions also help us set up celebration because if I can find a value and meet that value, if I can find a need and meet that need, um, and it, it's reasonable, it's measurable, it's, uh, it gives us a moment to say, is it the same this week as it was last week? There's a marker, there's a mile, milestone somewhere that we said, you know, and I can, I can give you a hundred of those that my wife and I have done in our relationship, you know, over the years. And we're still living by that milestone and saying, okay, on that week we decided we weren't going to use God Almighty statements and say, you always do this and you never do that. Mm -hmm. We got always and never out of our relationship. We don't, we, those are not words we use because you, you never, you always, never solves a problem. How do you see that? Why is it, why does it seem to me <laughs> that we always end up here? Talk to me about that. Now, now we're at a question that, that can lead us into a value or a, or a felt need that's not being met. And now I know how to, I think men men well, love to answer questions. They, I mean, no, they love to respond to questions. They don't always like to answer them. They like it, to respond to them. Isn't that like a typical like thing? Like we, it's a man well, thing. I like, you know, like as somebody's telling me their problems, I just I'll just tell them the solution. I'll I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it. Just do this. Absolutely. And like I'm, you know, not <clears throat> taking the time to. You know, ask them questions and yeah. and bring them around to to discovering more about what they're talking about. Yeah, or we or we go to a place of of uh, self preservation. I tried to do that for you, and, and we go back to all of what we perceived as successes, but evidently we weren't asking the right questions because it didn't meet the need. It didn't it didn't resolve the issue that's on the table. Therefore, more questions are required and more process is required. But you can't ask the question if you're not willing to process the answer. <laughs> so the, the, asking the question brings responsibility. What is the best question to ask to learn the most about somebody? What's, <laughs> what's your question to ask somebody 
to to learn about them because that's what we're doing, right? We're learning about them. I, I, yeah, that's a that's a hard question because I don't have one. You know, I, and I think I, I think the, the key is to have some level of a repertoire. You know, when I first met you, it's like, tell me about you. That's, I mean, that's that's obviously the information giving the gathering. Um, I'm not listening for the information. I'm listening for the question. You know, how how do I how do I take this to the next level? Uh, and my problem is that we'll have a conversation. You'll tell me all about you, and I'll forget all about it because I was listening, trying to listen on another level. And and it's both it's both a really really good thing, and it's a really really horrible thing because sometimes I'll ask the same question two or three times, and then that says I didn't listen to you, and that's not that's not fair. But uh, and, and I, I know you use this a lot, but why do you think that is? What? Yeah. What's going on there? What is there something else your, going yeah, on at the table? Is there something else at the table here? What's you know? I, so I like heard we're, we're listening to, and we're trying to yeah. think of what we're going to say next yeah. or ask right. next or. You know, and, and I think it's always really important to to couch a question right behind a listening statement. You do this very very well. When when I heard you say this. The question I had was, and and you can go, you can judge the level of your depth, and th- that's one of my problems. Is I have, I, I this is such a pattern for me that I'm always judging the level of depth of question that I can ask. So I have, you know, um, is is that a is that an issue in your family? That's a that's a pretty. I mean, I'm, I'm asking them to bring their whole family to the table at that point. You know, mm-hmm. I'm. Uh, how long has that been happening? Uh, and a lot of those are counseling questions that I've that I've learned in, in counseling, but um, but just relational questions. Just um, tell me what makes you tick. One of my favorite questions is: You're sitting at a table with two of your best friends. There's a napkin being being passed around the table, and everybody's scribbling something on the napkin, and you're taking it away from each other and scribbling something on it, and, and the conversation. You're leaned up over the table. What's on the napkin? Great question. That's a good question. Now I'm learning, okay, not only do you even identify with that question, I'm watching them while I'm asking the question. Is that something that you would do? <laughs> if I see him lean back and you know do this, it's like I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you think I might talk to people on that level. Like, okay, now we've got a completely different list of questions to ask next. <laughs> you know, who do you trust? Who's at your table? You know, th- those are great questions. Tell me, tell me who shaped you. Tell me, uh, the, I don't want just the information. Where did you live? What did you do? I, I want who shaped you. Tell me, tell me about about the the one person that wounded you the worst. That's, I mean, that's pretty deep because I know they're going to bleed on the table at that point, and I want them to. But I, w- I can only ask that question when we've been through a whole list of other questions. So, so to judge the level of a question is so very important. It's, and it's a skill level. That, and if you, have, if you have a good emotional IQ where you can read people well, uh, I'll, I'll, even, even the what's on the napkin scenario, I, I'm reading them on two or three levels. You know, uh, How quickly they get to, to the napkin, the, how quickly they figure out what's on their napkin tells me that they're purpose-driven, that they, so now I know the questions I need to ask are purpose-driven. They're, they're going towards 
what are you doing about that? How, what are your plans? What are your goals in that? How are you, how are you integrating that? Are you handling that well? Are, if, if they're too passionate and they, you know, and it's like, okay, how's your, how's your family? <laughs> are you spending all your time, you know, and I'm, I'm listening to see, are they balancing their life well? Are there, so I'm, I'm going to ask questions that seemingly to them are probably unrelated and crazy. The more time you have, the more, the more depth of relationship you have, the more you have to tweak those questions to get to the right place. I love being around people that I've been with for many, many years that I can just come to the table and say, hey, I watched your face in a meeting the other day. You had, you had something on you. I watched your po- body posture. You crossed your arms when this person got up to speak. What's going on with you guys? Mm-hmm. That, that comes from a, long, a, a deep level of commitment to relationship that all of us know. This is time-honored. We're, we're not looking to pick a fight. I just want to know about your heart, what's going on. So heart questions are deep. Wound questions get you to the heart questions. I love the way you connected those dots there. So from that question, for me, that would be a very difficult question to answer. Like, the, you know, if, if you got, you know, a group of your friends around the table mm-hmm. and you guys are writing notes on a napkin and passing it around, mm-hmm. what is the topic? So I love how you connected the dots to, you know, first of all, if they're like, um, I would never do that. Yeah. That's already an answer for yeah, you. I've got an answer. So now you, I know you, my next questions. Yeah. And then if, <laughs> if they give you an answer and it's like, we're talking about our wives. Yeah. Then that's an answer like, okay, is relationship connected, yeah. something yeah. there, we can go that route, talking mm-hmm. about relationship. Mm-hmm. And or oh like, well, we're probably just talking about our work and you know, you know, maybe comparing our bank accounts or something. Okay, yeah. they're they're driven by right. this. And now, now I know. we can go that route. Right. That's that's really good. That, I, I love that. Now I'm going to be using that from now on. So you guys might hear that on the, the podcast from now <laughs> Sorry. on. Sorry. Especially when you, when you know somebody has a deep level of, of experience or whatever, and, and you want to get to their passion, that's the question. You know, it, it's, which is really where I like to live anyway. I like to go to that place. It's, you know, what's your passion? You know, in the first five minutes I met you, I knew relationship, developing young men, uh, uh, asking questions. The, the fact that we're doing this right here tells me that, that you want not just to learn for you, but you want somehow to, to be a, a resource for others. I, and I love that. Now, you know, hopefully, hopefully as, as we walk together, that helps me, you know, because I, I li- I'm listening to you ask questions and I'm, I'm I don't want you to think that I, but I when no, you've been in ministry for 50 years, you, I learn, you learn how to listen. You learn how to, how to not just hear what people are saying, but body posture, all those kind of things. Uh, people who know I do that <laughs> get nervous around me. And it's like, no, I don't, I, I'm not looking for nervous. I don't care. I, I, I do care. That's the problem. You don't have to be, you're not proving something to me. I just want to know who you are and how, if there's any key that I have in my pocket that opens a door for you, that's my responsibility. If there's something I've learned that you can learn an easier way, and, I, and I'm going to ask you a question to figure out whether, you've, whether you know that. If you do, I'm going to reinforce it and say, that, yeah, that's awesome. If not, I'm going to share a story or an experience or something that hopefully takes you to another place. 
that's that's a beauty of being married 48 years. You know, I've, I've got a story for everything. You got a marriage problem? I, <laughs> I've lived it out. Uh, and I'm, I'm not asking you the question to judge you. I'm asking the question to to somehow that we can team together and use each other's keys. Because I think where you've been is help for me. I feel like that 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 discomfort that we feel mm-hmm. when we have somebody that's really like asking us questions yeah what you're talking about the you know some people they start to get uncomfortable when they think like oh they're they're, they're judging me but they're... i'm wondering mm-hmm. too because a lot of times it comes from a place of it's just different because mm-hmm. most people not aren't asking it. the questions no, we're not used to it so when it happens it's like something's wrong our mind's telling us something's going on here why are they asking me all these questions yeah, yeah. <laughs> and especially if they don't have the grid work to know that Hopefully that they know that I really do care about them. I, I wouldn't be asking. Que- I don't. I don't spend a lot of time asking questions to people that I, I don't have any influence with. I'm going to find whether or not I can. I, how how can we interact? How how you know I I know who you are by some <laughs> some osmosis or whatever. I I think it's insight from the Holy Spirit. He shows us those who have keys that we need need to be walking together with in some way or another, and I think we. We have to listen to not only the Holy Spirit, but also asking the questions in our own heart. What's what's going on here? What is my responsibility? I'm not asking what's what's your responsibility and how are you feeling. I'm asking, is there something that I'm supposed to bring to this table that's going to help somebody somewhere? If so, that's my mm. that's my job. I've done my I've done my not my due diligence. It's not just a job. It's a matter of uh, when you're when you're 70 years old. You got a lot of stuff in the in the vaults that can be pulled on to keep people from making mistakes you've made, and I, it's it's not a matter that I think you're going to make them anyway, or somebody else is going to make a, a huge failure or a mess. But I've made the messes, and I I know what it took to clean them up, and I can streamline the process. Or I've had visions that I didn't follow through on, and for at seventy you look at them and go, man, I should have been doing some things different. I should have set some better goals. I should have. I should have defined that a little better. Why? Where was the person who didn't ask me the question of what's your goal? How how are you going to get that done? How can I help you? Is there how do I pray for you? That's a great question. If people know that you really pray, hmm. how can I pray for you? I got a dear friend who's a pastor. Uh, I hope you meet him. Uh, I'll introduce you sometime. But uh, I, I love it. Before you leave the table with him, he's how how can my life serve yours? Hmm. It's like wow. I mean, that's a deep question. How? Because you don't want to you don't want to impose something. But he's literally. I know him well enough to know that everything he has is mine. Every that, that's what submission is. Everything I have is yours. Your everything you have is mine. We are in mutual submission. It's what marriage is made of. And when we're holding something back, and the question is there and it's unasked, it will continue to hold us back. But the question unlocks the value or the key or the, the thing that needs to happen. So relationships are built on that. This is really cool that we could just talk so uh, all this all this time about questions. It's, it's such a broad topic. I, I, I love it that we, we went this route. But, uh, thank you for sharing my these. It, it, this was awesome. Um, I, I will give you the opportunity like I give to everybody. If you have a few sentences that you would tell young men to that are kind of want to follow the Lord better, who want mm-hmm. to who walk towards Him 
and be led by the Lord, be led by the Holy Spirit, what would be your message to these young men? John 15, 16, 17 is the key to, to all discipleship, to all moving closer to God. It's Jesus giving us this open vision into his heart. And he says, I want my Father to know you, and I want you to know my Father. Um, I, I love the scriptures. I, I've given my life to studying them. I, I have books of sermons. I would tell a young man that, that there is a, there's a place in relationship that goes beyond the information, the checking of the boxes, the doing the right thing at the right time. Um, I would say go easy on yourself. You don't know everything. You don't have to. You don't have to be the know-it-all at every table. You don't have to have the answer to every question. You have to know the questions. Ask yourself the questions. Ask yourself, what, what, is that, what am I missing here? What is, what's going on here? If you don't know, ask people in your life. Develop the kind of relationships that it's not weird to pick up a phone and say, hey, I'm thinking about this. I'm, I'm kind of stuck. What? Here's my question. Uh, that, that's an empowering piece. Young men have been, have been, especially in this information age, we value each other on what we know. Mm-hmm. We, we follow people on, on uh, social media that know something we don't know. And we value that, oh, you must be amazing and know everything. Not everybody knows everything. <laughs> no matter how succinct they are in the area of their expertise, they don't know everything. You don't have to either. But do what you do and do it well. Develop and, and give yourself the freedom to say, I don't know. Uh, I, as a young man, you want to know everything. You want to be able to solve everything. I can't. I can do what God gives me. I can do what I say. So in order to do that, to me, the question comes, what's my relationship with my father? My heavenly Father, does He know me and I know Him? Are we, are we communicating? And I, and I don't want a, an arm length relationship. I want to. Um, I remember that when you know when the when the son comes home, first thing he gets is a kiss. It's like, do I have that relationship with my heavenly Father that I can run into His arms when I'm broken, when I'm hurting, when I'm am I am I open enough with Him that I can that I can hurt on Him? I love it when David finds himself in a place where he doesn't have the answers. And he runs to God and he says, hey, this is, this is the situation. My enemies have surrounded me. You promised me you were going to take care of me. I don't feel taken care of. And he, and he asks the question to the Father. And then he comes to the conclusion of, of what God tells him in those moments. And I think we need to expect more that God's willing to talk to us that he really has answers and he really doesn't mind our frustrations and he really isn't taken back by our failures, but he does have answers and he will take us to the next place. But it often starts with questions. God, I'm, I'm, I have a mystery in front of me about me, about my wife, about my 
job, about, about my life, about my goals, about my future. Where's the first place we go with that? We, we often go to people we trust and love, and hopefully they're the people that have the same value systems. The problem is when we go to, to the Internet <laughs> to try to find our answer, we're not finding it in the right place. Whether it's intimacy with our wives, whatever else we go to hear, it's not the answer. It's not the right, it's not the right question. The question I have to ask is what's going on inside of me? And Father, I need your help in this. So asking the right questions and believing that God speaks to us is probably the greatest thing. I love that. You, you, don't have to, you don't have to know everything. Just know the questions. Just know the right questions to ask. And the right and one believe, to ask. <laughs> yeah. Believe that, that God loves me and he, he cares about me enough to answer my questions. Yeah. yeah. That he is and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He rewards with insight and wisdom and grace if we just ask. I love that. Thank you, thank Pastor you. Steve. I really appreciate you. Thank, thank you, you for joining me today. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. This has yeah. been an awesome conversation here with Pastor Steve Warner. Um, uh, we have to do this again sometime soon. I, I really I love, love this that. conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. And it's a delight. Thank you so much. Thank pleasure. you guys for joining and listening to the old guy. Blessings. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, guys. <laughs>